Chapter 18 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Camp Gossip, Deserters, Recruits, Kentucky Hunters, A Veteran Woodman, Tidings of Mr. Henry, Danger from the Blackfeet, Alteration of Plans, Scenery of the River, Buffalo Roads, Iron Ore, Country of the Sioux, a land of danger apprehensions of the voyageurs indian scouts threatened hostilities a council of war an array of battle a parley the pipe of peace speech-making it was about noon when the party left the ponca's village about a league beyond which they passed the mouth of the quicor or rapid river called in the original french lo quicor after having proceeded some distance further they landed and encamped for the night in the evening camp the voyageurs gossiped as usual over the events of the day and especially over the intelligence picked up among the pankas these indians had confirmed the previous reports of the hostile intentions of the sioux and had assured them that five tribes or bands of that fierce nation were actually assembled higher up the river and waiting to cut them off this evening gossip and the terrific stories of indian warfare to which it gave rise produced a strong effect upon the imagination of the irresolute and in the morning it was discovered that the two men who had joined the party at the omaha village and been so bounteously fitted out had deserted in the course of the night carrying with them all their equipments as it was known that one of them could not swim it was hoped that the banks of the quicor river would bring them to a halt a general pursuit was therefore instituted but without success on the following morning may twenty sixth as they were all on shore breakfasting on one of the beautiful banks of the river they observed two canoes descending along the opposite side by the aid of spy-glasses they ascertained that there were two white men in one of the canoes and one in the other a gun was discharged which called the attention of the voyagers who crossed over they proved to be three kentucky hunters of the true dreadnought stamp their names were edward robinson john hoback and jacob brisner robinson was a veteran backwoodsman sixty-six years of age he had been one of the first settlers of kentucky and engaged in many of the conflicts of the indians on the bloody ground in one of these battles he had been scalped and he still wore a handkerchief bound round his head to protect the part these men had passed several years in the upper wilderness they had been in the service of the missouri company under mr henry and had crossed the rocky mountains with him in the preceding year when driven from his post on the missouri by the hostilities of the blackfeet after crossing the mountains mr henry had established himself on one of the head branches of the columbia river there they had remained with him some months hunting and trapping until having satisfied their wandering propensities they felt disposed to return to the families and comfortable homes which they had left in kentucky they had accordingly made their way back across the mountains and down the rivers and were in full career for st louis when thus suddenly interrupted the sight of a powerful party of traders trappers hunters and voyagers well armed and equipped furnished at all points in high health and spirits and banqueting lustily on the green margin of the river was a spectacle equally stimulating to these veteran backwoodsmen 
with the glorious array of the campaigning army to an old soldier but when they learned the grand scope and extent of the enterprise in hand it was irresistible homes and families and all the charms of green kentucky vanished from their thoughts they cast loose their canoes to drift down the stream and joyfully enlisted in the band of adventurers they engaged on similar terms with some of the other hunters the company was to fit them out and keep them supplied with the requisite equipments and munitions and they were to yield one half of the produce of their hunting and trapping the addition of three such staunch recruits was extremely acceptable at this dangerous part of the river the knowledge of the country which they had acquired also in their journeys and hunting excursions along the rivers and among the rocky mountains was all important in fact the information derived from them induced mr hunt to alter his future course he had hitherto intended to proceed by the route taken by lewis and clark in their famous exploring expedition ascending the missouri to its forks and thence going by land across the mountains these men informed him however that on taking that course he would have to pass through the country infested by the savage tribe of the blackfeet and would be exposed to their hostilities they being as has already been observed exasperated to deadly animosity against the whites on account of the death of one of their tribe by the hand of captain lewis they advised him rather to pursue a route more to the southward being the same by which they had returned this would carry them over the mountains about where the headwaters of the platte and the yellowstone take their rise at a place much more easy and practicable than that where lewis and clark had crossed in pursuing this course also he would pass through a country abounding with game where he would have a better chance of procuring a constant supply of provisions than by the other route and would run less risk of molestation from the blackfeet should he adopt this advice it would be better for him to abandon the river at the arikara town at which he would arrive in the course of a few days as the indians at that town possessed horses in abundance he might purchase a sufficient number of them for his great journey overland which would commence at that place after reflecting on this advice and consulting with his associates mr hunt came to the determination to follow the route thus pointed out to which the hunters engaged to pilot him the party continued their voyage with delightful may weather the prairies bordering on the river were gaily painted with innumerable flowers exhibiting the motley confusion of colors of a turkey carpet the beautiful islands also on which they occasionally halted presented the appearance of mingled grove and garden the trees were often covered with clambering grapevines in blossom which perfumed the air between the stately masses of the groves were grassy lawns and glades studded with flowers or interspersed with rose bushes in full bloom these islands were often the resort of the buffalo the elk and the antelope who had made innumerable paths among the trees and thickets which had the effect of the mazy walks and alleys of parks and shrubberies sometimes where the river passed between high banks and bluffs the roads made by the tramp of buffaloes for many ages along the face of the heights looked like so many well-travelled highways at other places the banks were banded with great veins of iron ore laid bare by the abrasion of the river at one place the course of the river was nearly in a straight line for about fifteen miles the banks sloped gently to its margin without a single tree but bordered with grass and herbage of a vivid green 
along each bank for the whole fifteen miles extended a stripe one hundred yards in breadth of a deep rusty brown indicating an inexhaustible bed of iron through the centre of which the missouri had worn its way indications of the continuance of this bed were afterwards observed higher up the river it is in fact one of the mineral magazines which nature has provided in the heart of this vast realm of fertility and which in connection with the immense beds of coal on the same river seem garnered up as the elements of the future wealth and power of the mighty west the sight of these mineral treasures greatly excited the curiosity of mr bradbury and it was tantalizing to him to be checked in his scientific researches and obliged to forego his usual rambles on shore but they were now entering the fated country of the sioux tetons in which it was dangerous to wander about unguarded this country extends for some days journey along the river and consists of vast prairies here and there diversified by swelling hills and cut up by ravines the channels of turbid streams in the rainy seasons but almost destitute of water during the heats of summer here and there on the sides of the hills or along the alluvial borders and bottoms of the ravines are groves and skirts of forest but for the most part the country presented to the eye a boundless waste covered with herbage but without trees the soil of this immense region is strongly impregnated with sulphur coppers alum and glauber salts its various earths impart a deep tinge to the streams which drain it and these with the crumbling of the banks along the missouri give to the waters of that river much of the colouring matter with which they are clouded over this vast tract the roving bands of the sioux tetons hold their vagrant sway subsisting by the chase of the buffalo the elk the deer and the antelope and waging ruthless warfare with other wandering tribes as the boats made their way up the stream bordered by this land of danger many of the canadian voyagers whose fears had been awakened would regard with a distrustful eye the boundless waste extending on each side all however was silent and apparently untenanted by a human being now and then a herd of deer would be seen feeding tranquilly among the flowery herbage or a line of buffaloes like a caravan on its march moving across the distant profile of the prairie the canadians however began to apprehend an ambush in every thicket and to regard the broad tranquil plain as a sailor eyes some shallow and perfidious sea which though smooth and safe to the eye conceals the lurking rock or treacherous shoal the very name of a sioux became a watchword of terror not an elk a wolf or any other animal could appear on the hills but the boats resounded with exclamations from stem to stern voila les sioux voila les sioux there are the sioux there are the sioux whenever it was practicable the night encampment was on some island in the centre of the stream on the morning of the thirty-first of may as the travellers were breakfasting on the right bank of the river the usual alarm was given but with more reason as two indians actually made their appearance on a bluff on the opposite or northern side and harangued them in a loud voice 
as it was impossible at that distance to distinguish what they said mr hunt after breakfast crossed the river with pierre dorion the interpreter and advanced boldly to converse with them while the rest remained watching in mute suspense the movements of the parties as soon as mr hunt landed one of the indians disappeared behind the hill but shortly reappeared on horseback and went scouring off across the heights mr hunt held some conference with the remaining savage and then recrossed the river to his party these two indians proved to be spies or scouts of a large war party encamped about a league off and numbering two hundred and eighty lodges or about six hundred warriors of three different tribes of sioux the yanktons anna the tetons bois brule and the tetons minakine azo they expected daily to be reinforced by two other tribes and had been awaiting eleven days for the arrival of mr hunt's party with a determination to oppose their progress up the river being resolved to prevent all trade of the white men with their enemies the arikaras mandans and minatares the indian who had galloped off on horseback had gone to give notice of the approach of the party so that they might now look for some fierce scenes with those piratical savages of whom they had received so many formidable accounts the party braced up their spirits to the encounter and re-embarking pulled resolutely up the stream an island for some time intervened between them and the opposite side of the river but on clearing the upper end they came in full view of the hostile shore there was a ridge of hills down which the savages were pouring in great numbers some on horseback and some on foot reconnoitring them with the aid of glasses they perceived that they were all in warlike array painted and decorated for battle their weapons were bows and arrows and a few short carbines and most of them had round shields altogether they had a wild and gallant appearance and taking possession of a point which commanded the river ranged themselves along the bank as if prepared to dispute their passage at sight of this formidable front of war mr hunt and his companions held counsel together it was plain that the rumours they had heard were correct and the sioux were determined to oppose their progress by force of arms to attempt to elude them and continue along the river was out of the question the strength of the mid-current was too violent to be withstood and the boats were obliged to ascend along the river banks these banks were often high and perpendicular affording the savages frequent stations from whence safe themselves and almost unseen they might shower down their missiles upon the boats below and retreat at will without danger from pursuit nothing apparently remained therefore but to fight or turn back the sioux far outnumbered them it is true but their own party was about sixty strong well armed and supplied with ammunition and besides their guns and rifles they had a swivel and two howitzers mounted in the boats should they succeed in breaking this indian force by one vigorous assault it was likely they would be deterred from making any future attack of consequence the fighting alternative was therefore instantly adopted and the boats pulled ashore nearly opposite to the hostile force here the arms were all examined and put in order the swivel and howitzers were then loaded with powder and discharged to let the savages know by the report how formidably they were provided 
the noise echoed along the shores of the river and must have startled the warriors who were only accustomed to sharp reports of rifles the same pieces were then loaded with as many bullets as they could possibly bear after which the whole party embarked and pulled across the river the indians remained watching them in silence their painted forms and visages glaring in the sun and their feathers fluttering in the breeze the poor canadians eyed them with rueful glances and now and then a fearful ejaculation escaped them parbleu this is a sad scrape we are in brother one would mutter to the next oarsman ay ay the other would reply we are not going to a wedding my friend when the boats arrived within rifle-shot the hunters and other fighting personages on board seized their weapons and prepared for action as they rose to fire a confusion took place among the savages they displayed their buffalo robes raised them with both hands above their heads and then spread them before them on the ground at sight of this pierre dorion eagerly cried out to the party not to fire as this movement was a peaceful signal and an invitation to a parley immediately about a dozen of the principal warriors separating from the rest descended to the edge of the river lighted a fire seated themselves in a semicircle around it and displaying the calumet invited the party to land mr hunt now called a council of the partners on board of his boat the question was whether to trust to the amicable overtures of these ferocious people it was determined in the affirmative for otherwise there was no alternative but to fight them the main body of the party were ordered to remain on board of the boats keeping within shot and prepared to fire in case of any signs of treachery while mr hunt and the other partners mackenzie crooks miller and clellan proceeded to land accompanied by the interpreter and mr bradbury the chiefs who awaited them on the margin of the river remained seated in their semicircle without stirring a limb or moving a muscle motionless as so many statues mr hunt and his companions advanced without hesitation and took their seats on the sand so as to complete the circle the band of warriors who lined the banks above stood looking down in silent groups and clusters some ostentatiously equipped and decorated others entirely naked but fantastically painted and all variously armed the pipe of peace was now brought forward with due ceremony the bowl was of a species of red stone resembling porphyry the stem was six feet in length decorated with tufts of horsehair dyed red the pipe-bearer stepped within the circle lighted the pipe held it towards the sun then towards the different points of the compass after which he handed it to the principal chief the latter smoked a few whiffs then holding the head of the pipe in his hand offered the other end to mr hunt and to each one successively in the circle when all had smoked it was considered that an assurance of good faith and amity had been interchanged mr hunt now made a speech in french which was interpreted as he proceeded by pierre dorion he informed the sioux of the real object of the expedition of himself and his companions which was not to trade with any of the tribes up the river but to cross the mountains to the great salt lake in the west in search of some of their brothers whom they had not seen for eleven months 
that he had heard of the intention of the sioux to oppose his passage and was prepared as they might see to effect it at all hazards nevertheless his feelings towards the sioux were friendly in proof of which he had brought them a present of tobacco and corn so saying he ordered about fifteen carats of tobacco and as many bags of corn to be brought from the boat and laid in a heap near the council fire the sight of these presents mollified the chieftain who had doubtless been previously rendered considerate by the resolute conduct of the white men the judicious disposition of their little armament the completeness of their equipments and the compact array of battle which they presented he made a speech in reply in which he stated the object of their hostile assemblage which had been merely to prevent supplies of arms and ammunition from going to the Arikras, mandans and minotaurs with whom they were at war but being now convinced that the party were carrying no supplies of the kind but merely proceeding in quest of their brothers beyond the mountains they would not impede them in their voyage he concluded by thanking them for their presence and advising them to encamp on the opposite side of the river as he had some young men among his warriors for whose discretion he could not be answerable and who might be troublesome here ended the conference they all arose shook hands and parted mr hunt and his companions re-embarked and the boats proceeded on their course unmolested End of chapter 18